first edition of the Timbers Field Report of 2016, and this is a very uh, very special edition of the Field Report. And uh, so, as always, I'm Kyle Carvello, joined by Mr. Drew Olson. Drew, how are you? Uh, I'm good, man. Uh, it's uh, it's hard to believe that state uh, season's about to start. Feels like I just got back from Columbus. Yeah. Right. So, as I mentioned, uh, this is a special episode, not because it's the uh, the first of season two, nor because I have a cold and losing my voice, but we have a... Uh, I thought Jamie you were just Cole. talking sexy for me. Oh, Drew, I don't do that on Skype, Drew. <laughs> I, I, you know, I text you all those cool things. And I guess I read them back to myself in a sexy exactly. voice. Yeah, okay. Yes, we have Jamie Goldberg from the Oregonian coming on the show for our second segment. Then. So, uh, until then, you're going to listen to me and Drew talk. Yeah, there's plenty plenty to talk about, thankfully. There is. Um, do you know what I've been actually very surprised about with this offseason so far? And like, it's not like it, it's kind of subtle, and people might not know about it. What's that? But uh, Caleb Porter is nominated for Concacaf Coach of the Year. I know. I saw that. That's there's that interesting. I thought like, it's not just you know, at least from the uh, the Timber Storms organization, but like what do we have? We have Betos as a female goalkeeper of the year, and Kling as um, Klingberg. For a female defender of the year. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Yeah, it is. I mean, I would say probably Betos is the most surprising. Although, I guess she did win Goalkeeper of the Year. But that's a fan. I think that was a fan vote or something. Well, you also like, got she, a there's, like, there's not. I mean, no offense to her, but there wasn't a great argument that she was the best goalkeeper in the WSL I, I see season. the argument when you look at the club level. Like, if you look at international who's in CONCACAF, you still... Probably yeah. find but I mean, that. Beto's only played like half the games anyway. I don't know. Yeah, she did. She did have a keeper goal, which is worth. Yeah, exactly. You, know, right? you can win million just points. on that alone. Yeah. Yeah, that's so that's that's some some pretty cool stuff that's uh happened so far in the off season. That fun fact people might not know about. Well, and and we should mention too that it's exciting. Uh, you know, we mentioned that we're having Jamie Goldberg, the uh, Timbers and Thorns beat writer, on later. Uh, if you haven't already, I would say jump back and, and listen to Soccer More Made in Portland, which is her podcast with Chris Reifer. They had Merritt Paulson on uh, yes, yes, yesterday, and uh, he talked a little bit about the potential for expanding Providence Park and a lot of the off-season additions and that sort of stuff, uh, which is definitely worth listening to. So I would you know, check that stuff out, too. Speaking of the uh, the Providence Park expansion, like how cool would it be if we had, like, 30,000? Man, it'd be incredible. I mean, it would take a lot, I think, of help from the city, and they'd have to change some stuff around the logistics um, aren't easy, but obviously it'd be really cool. I mean, part of me is wary that maybe the shine would wear off a little bit, you know? There, There is, like, well, you, you know, I, I organize, my profession is to organize people for politics, and there's something, uh, you know, it's always good to have a small room with lots of pe- more people than can get in the room, right? It's better to have a, <laughs> a full small room than an empty big room, or, you know, half empty. But, uh, I- it's, uh, we agree with you here. Like, we do have, you know, what's it? Over ten thousand uh, season ticket holders still on the waiting list. So, like, mm-hmm. some of it would go there. But I do eventually feel like we are a sellout streak would run out, and that would be kind of be disappointing. But overall, I still think you know thirty thousand is probably a good number to have. Yeah, I mean, it would be awesome because I would imagine it would turn into Columbus West in terms of U.S. national team games. I guess they play a lot in Carson. That probably won't change. But yeah. uh, you know. The national team, until recently, hasn't really had much of a presence in the Northwest, and so I would definitely think the games that the national team has been playing in Seattle would uh, be moved off um, 
that crap turf onto our less crap turf. And, you know, that's another thing, is it might be grass soon. Well, exactly. If we're investing, you know, X amount of dollars to be building a 30,000 stadium, you're going to put grass in the field at that point. Like, you I mean, yeah. better, at least. And, I, and there's a lot of complications that go along with doing yeah, grass as well. There's a football team and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and people should definitely listen to the, uh, the soccer made in Portland interview because mm-hmm. there's a lot. Like, one thing that Marin Paulson said on that interview was, like, there's kind of restrictions on how high the stadium can be. It can't be much taller than street level, which kind of dampens, like, you know, any – because, again, you got to, you know, tier the, uh, the east side most likely because that's where it's meant to be tiered, but there's yeah. a lot of garbage. I'm sympathetic to both sides of that. Like, I definitely – you know, the first Timbers games I ever watched were from – Morrison Street, you know, like through yeah. the fence. So, oh, yeah. you know, there's a nostalgic part of me that thinks it's pretty cool that you still have to be able to see the field kind of from from the fence. But I don't know. I get it. I mean, it's. I mean, as much as I mean, I love Providence Park. I think it's you know one of the best stadiums. No, it is the best stadium in MLS, and you know it's already, you know it's becoming more renowned globally just for the atmosphere. But it's also, I mean, realistically, it's a pretty shitty location because you're landlocked everywhere. To, I should say it's shitty to expand because you really can't do much. The athletic club to the south, and yeah, that's that is what it is. That's I mean, that's not going anywhere. I mean, even though the talk is adding, you know, one to two thousand seats down there, which is that's fine, that's realistic. But again, like you're just, you're just landlocked. Well, and there are issues there too because they have to be able to get emergency vehicles through there. And yeah, there's exactly. all kinds of complications. So it's it's many years, if not. Decades away, probably. Yeah, I don't foresee this happening any anytime soon at all. Why don't we actually exactly. talk some prescient news, some things that have happened we, since we last recorded? Do, do you want to start with what we've uh, people that have left? Sure. And uh, we've come in. A little candlelight vigil for those who have moved yeah. on. Um, I believe we did. We do. We mention uh, Viafania going to Santos. We did. Episode. We did. Uh, we talked about that and. Um, He's already been playing at a bunch of friendlies. I think he scored a goal, and they're they're really happy with him. So uh, I haven't been able to catch a, catch a match, but he has also made his first start for Santos in a league. MX, little so disappointed he didn't get a call up to the national team, but he's probably still getting situated with his new team. Yeah, so. that's the big reason why I think he's not getting called up is because he's just so new to Santos yeah. like right now. Yeah. Uh, but we have, I think, since our last podcast, brought in a replacement, um, Chris Cludy from Columbus. One of a couple of Columbus guys uh, we brought in, and I actually really like Cludy. I think he's on about the same salary that Viafania was on, and uh, you know this was a guy that was on the fringes of the national team two years ago, and then and yep. then they brought in uh, Awful, and he kind of took over Cludy's job. So I, I think it's a really nice pickup. I think he'll slot in pretty seamlessly over there at left back. I think he is right footed, uh, but he's kind of a Mikey Harrington style sure. uh, outside back that can rotate between the two sides. So. Any thoughts on on Cludy there? No, I, I think it's a solid pickup, and I think the one thing I I like about all of, you know, with the exception of, and we'll get to this later, but with the exception of Grabovoy, um, I like all of the pickups we've made so far because there are a lot of young players. And if anything, what we've seen California can do is like he developed the crap out of young players. I mean, Biafania was not the player that he left the Timbers when he came in. Like he was not that good. He was not that consistent, and he was not that skilled. So, and I, I think Cludy can have a you know, just as big of an upside. Especially because, you know, we don't have any fullbacks for the U.S. national team, and he's already kind of a fringe player. Like, he has been only called up to one camp, but, you know, he's on the radar of the U.S. national team. So I don't see the reason why he couldn't be, you know, be the same level 
as Viafania. And I think Viafania is, you know, primed to get a fullback off the national team. Yeah, I think you're right. And speaking of defenders that Caleb Porter has cultivated, uh, they also signed Zarek Valentine. Valentine? Yeah. It's Valentine. He's playing, in, uh, he's playing in Norway right now. He did. He, I like him specifically because he's got MLS experience and some lower European League experience. So I feel, you know, that coming back to MLS can only be pretty beneficial. And again, Caleb Porter knows him. But I see him more of a depth piece. I mean, maybe he could... I mean, yeah, absolutely. Could, I mean, that's... He's kind of a... We talked about uh, a Rudy... Or, sorry, yeah, Vifani going and then Cludi kind of plugging in there. This is probably more of a Paparato uh, replacement. Nice him is because he can play both outside back and center back. So he's versatile. Valentine? Yes. I didn't realize he, that. That's good, yeah. Nice. So, um, yeah, a lot, I mean, that's... That's kind of the role that uh, Ridgewell has been playing. He would go out to the side when sure. someone was out. Again, like, but, uh, he's young. I mean, for all we know, maybe he can he can push Cootie to you know maybe he gets a starting spot. I mean, I don't know too much about the guy. I, I don't I don't follow the Norwegian top flight that well. <laughs> um, so <laughs> again, like I, I like the uh, addition of him. You know, again, everything I've heard, he's supposed to be a pretty good player. So I think good depth piece, especially with Open Cup and uh, Champions League coming up. Yeah. Yep, absolutely, and and another young guy like you said that can be developed and you know sit on the bench while he earns a spot. And let, he might get some minutes on the outside, but Ridgewell and Borchers aren't getting any younger, so we're you know, no, exactly. this is probably something looking towards the future in terms of our our center backs. Um, sure. As you know, in the next few years. Uh, with all due respect to Sueño and Maxi, I would probably say the biggest loss of the offseason so far is the announcement that Rodney Wallace is out um, and probably is going to go to another league. And actually, I'm going to jump in with a rant there, too. Go for it. It just shows how gutless the players' union is that the fact that Rodney Wallace is out of contract with the Timbers. Now, look, this is probably the benefit of the Timbers, but if you're looking at the benefit of the league as a whole, Rodney Wallace is a player that you probably want playing in MLS, but he... The only team he can negotiate with is the Timbers, and because there's no free agency, unless you have seven years and all this other, you have to jump through all these hoops, it's the only team he can negotiate with. So the Timbers own his rights, even though neither side has reached an agreement on a contract, so he can't go elsewhere um, in the league. We only have his rights because we made up an offer. If we did not... Yeah, exactly. That's idiotic. Like. He, if we made him an offer and he didn't like it, he should be able to go with another team and say, "Hey, do you want to give me money?" And I would bet, oh, I would, I would bet there's a team in MLS that says, "Oh my goodness, this is one of the best left wings in the league," and he'd get paid. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think anyone can argue that he doesn't deserve it. The fact that he's going to leave the league and there's one less good outside winger in the in the league, it it hurts MLS. It hurts um, pretty much everyone except for the Timbers, I would say. And it sucks for him. I also got to feel that yeah. he might want to go. I mean, I'm not sure he's going to land. I mean, he might, you know. I, I, again, Maybe I he'll go to Costa Rica and, you know, try to get some call-ups or stuff. You know, no one would fault him for Possibly. that. I just think it stinks that, you know, there's this great player that is, we're not going to be able to watch anymore because of the... I agree. You're not wrong. I mean, it's the stupid structure of MLS. I like Rodney Willis a lot, and I, I wish him the best. I hope he goes to, you know, some league where we might be able to watch him, like, you know... Uh, the Eredivisie and Netherlands or something like that. You know, he could he could go to like a mid table, low table club there. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, that's actually the only place I realistically see him going. So there we go. I think he. I think South of Central America is probably his most likely. I don't know. I mean, 
again, if if he does, he's going to go to some pub like you know Alajuense or Saprisa. He goes to Costa mm-hmm. Rica. I don't see him going for like a small time club. And again, I don't know if he wants to go to Costa Rica. Again, we it's so much speculation because I, we haven't heard anything from Rodney Wilson on what he might want to do. I mean, for yeah. all we know, he doesn't want to leave MLS, but yeah. he doesn't have any options anymore. Which you're right, it sucks. Yeah. Um, and one I, I I kind of alluded to was uh, Rudy. I think we talked about the fact that he was gone in the last yes. one, but uh, yeah. since it's come out that. Jack McInerney is is now a Timber as well, and I think this is a really nice pickup. This is a guy who's been in the it. league for three, four years, five years almost, I think now, uh, and came in the league when he was like 17, 18. He's a, another guy on the fringe of the U.S. national team. It's crazy to think that the Timbers have gone from having no national team players for five yep. years, and now we have almost a handful. Um, yep. But yeah, this is a guy who I think is going to be perfect. As Audie's backup, uh, he's still young. He's, I think he's twenty-three. He's, he's twenty-three. Yeah, he's five he's months. Young. Yeah, he's five months older than Carlton Belmar. Like, yep. who, you know, everyone says is the future. Well, the you know McInerney's the present. So I, I think it's a really nice pickup. It is a little worrisome that he's kind of bounced around the league a little bit. But that's not necessarily his fault. I mean, yeah, to Montreal and he's for been on reason. some really bad teams. Yeah, and he's like he was traded to Montreal. Um, you know, Philadelphia, Philadelphia was, it's Philadelphia. They traded him to try to improve their situation. And then he was displaced in Montreal by Drogba. I mean, you don't need another guy if you have Drogba. I mean, yeah. they might be regretting that now with Drogba potentially retiring, but... And then, you know, Columbus, he was playing back up to Kai Kamara. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't play to McInerney's strength in Columbus because they whip the ball and then Kamara, you know, brings it down and knocks it with his head, which is not... McInerney is a poacher. Which, I mean, that works for us. I mean, we can definitely, we can use that. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess he's more closer to the style of a Rudy than he is Adi, that's for sure. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll see how he fits in. He, you know, he, he does, his game is a little bit scary in that it's a lot like Chris Boyd's. <laughs> but he, I think he's much better I, I with see, his feet than Chris Boyd ever was. But I see what you're saying in that I, I just think that he's a little more... And you're right, he's, he's technically better than he's Chris way Boyd. way faster. Ever. Yeah, he, he can hold through, come on. Chris <laughs> Boyd didn't move. Yeah. Uh, but again, you know, he's 23, and Caleb Porter can develop that, so if we need him to be you know, more of a mobile striker, we can do that anyway. Mm-hmm. Plus, he does have uh, Champions League experience, and he was actually quite successful in that tournament. So that's... Yep. I mean, also, I think it's kind of funny, this was pointed out um, on Soccer Made in Portland, I believe, but we currently now have three MLS players who have all been uh, in the Champions League final, with Grabovoy, Borgers, and McInerney. And all three of those guys have been to an MLS final yeah. as well. That's pretty cool. So I, like the, I like the pickup again. I mean, again, he's a young guy, a lot of upswing, and I think he, he's a good backup striker. I mean, I think the one thing we're going to miss about Maxi, and you know, maybe just something that we need McInerney to develop into, is we need him to be that kind of that forward that's going to run at some guy with a ball to make somebody more tired. Yeah, absolutely. It's a nice change of pace, for sure. Uh, the last one we did not talk about yet is uh, we picked up Ned Gravelboy for as a free yeah. agent. Yeah. What do you think of that one? I like that a lot. I mean, I think he's a real value pick. He was in at NYC last, last year, and that whole franchise is a tire fire, so I think we can almost throw that out the window. He, You know, he's a Jason Kreis guy, was instrumental on their... Uh, teams that went to multiple MLS Cups, and uh, I do. It is a little bit of a question where he's going to end up playing. 
he played a lot on the wing for NYCFC. He was more of a defensive kind of Chara um, role for RSL. So it'll be interesting to see where Porter deploys him. But I think he's mostly a depth guy. That he, you know, when Diego has his one or two games where he is suspended for yellow card accumulation every year, or you know, people pick up knocks. I think he, you know, he's really versatile and he can plug in at most of those midfield spots. And uh, you know, he's a veteran presence and has top-notch hair. So taking away the big points, right, Drew? Yeah. Um. If I think he's going to slot in anywhere, I expect Nagby to be called up for the uh, national team this year. And something might happen to Valeria. I think he slots into the middle. I, I think he'll pair up with whoever is still there, and I, I think he's going to stay in the middle. I mean, maybe he'll play on the wings if necessary, but I, I think he'll he'll slot in for Nagby or Valeria. Just because, I mean, maybe we'll go back to that kind of like a double pivot, but I, I still think he stays central in the midfield. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see what Porter does next season with uh, Milano, because it you know we saw it when Milano first came in he was playing the true striker and then obviously found a little bit more form when he was on the wing. I think the team has mostly said that they do envision him in the long term as that number nine. So it'll be it'll be fascinating to see if they start that transition or if he sticks to the wing, especially with a guy like Espria who's just come. You know, really improved a lot as the last season progressed, especially in the playoffs. So, uh, you know, they're good problems to have, but it's going to be interesting to see how Porter rotates those players and where he sees everybody sticking long term. I mean, you completely uh, agree with you. I just don't, I'm not sure Milano is meant to be a lone striker on, uh, in MLS. We have our, you know, we like our center backs big and mobile, and I don't know if. Free, or, uh, Milano could handle that. I think he's way better suited at playing the wings. And I, I don't. I think when we said the statement, as we see him being the eventual number nine, I, I don't. I remember the statement, but I don't remember being like before we played more than a handful of games. So I don't think we're actually going to do that anymore. I, I feel like he's better suited for the wings, especially because I mean he is fast. And he's technically gifted. I mean that's perfect. What you need for a winger. Yep, absolutely. And he can put in a main cross, as we saw in MLS Cup. So. Yep. Yeah, I think you're right there. Uh, the MLS draft was earlier today. We're going to talk a little bit about that with Jamie later. She, she'll she probably know more about these players than we do, if she yeah, knows no. anything about them. <laughs> yeah. Who was her first pick? Well, I can't remember his name anymore. Uh, Polk. Polk, yes. Uh, he's got a story on MLSsoccer.com. Highly recommend reading that. It's very interesting, to say the least. Oh, yeah, I guess... Interesting, yeah. Interesting backstory about him... Growing up in Saudi Arabia, what was it? Saudi Arabia. His father is U.S. Air Force, and that's where he was stationed. And his mother is English. Uh, and I guess like there was some, some shit went down in Saudi Arabia on the Air Force base, and his mom took him to England, and they left, and that's where he spent most of his time. And his but also mom, hasn't seen his mom since he was 16, I think. It's yeah, saying. I guess like, his mom was an alcoholic, I guess, and like he ended up moving with some friends in England, and you know they took him in, and he got a he was in a the U.S. scholarship program that puts um, English soccer players into, you know, various, you know, U.S. programs and uh, collegiate programs, and he got picked up by, like, some community college, I guess. And then, Yeah, he played three different colleges. Yeah, before he made to Syracuse. But, yeah, a no good story. I recommend that. You check it out. Pop over there and read it. Yeah, smart kid. He's been through a lot, so. Yeah, I'm happy we got him. I mean, if you'll watch a Syracuse highlight reel, he's, he's pretty good. I'm, uh... 
you know, I, he just signed. I guess he has got a Timbers contract right now, but I see him playing for uh, for T two quite a lot. Um. Okay. Let's jump into the schedule, which got released last week. Yes, it did. Uh, this is the bread and butter of the Timbers field report. That's how we make our and, money. And um. We don't have money. All our money. Both of it. Any any broad thoughts on the schedule? I. While I'm excited for a lot of this, I was a little disappointed. There's some wins, like, well, Wednesday, April 27th, in New England. Yeah, that's it. In Foxborough. You're going to that me, one, I assume? fine, because I live so close. Like, I'm bummed. Well, like, a lot of people can't make it out because it's so inconvenient, but... Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I would be there if it wasn't a Wednesday night, and I didn't have to work, but, you know, that day or the next. Uh, just disappointing. So, this, so um, kind of bummed with that. I am going to... The game in Orlando, April 3rd, is the week before my 30th birthday, so I think I might yeah, try to get out there for that one. Like, I, mean, I mean, I'm not sure it is in the West Coast. Like, to fly anywhere on the East Coast to Florida is dirt cheap. I mean, yeah, I've I've been looking at round trip for less than 150 yep. bucks, so, so I don't it would be pr- pretty exciting. I, mean, I look at the, uh, the schedule, though, real quick, and we don't actually – I think we have a pretty good schedule this year. I mean, we don't have any kind of, like – terrifying, like, away weeks where we're going from, like, last year where we went from Montreal to Houston to Toronto. Right. Yeah, they're, you're right. They're all, all the East Coast games are relatively well yeah. spread out. It's not like there's one where there's, like, one month where we have four games on the East Coast or anything like that. Uh, should we just run through them real sure. quick? Sure. I'll let you do that. Okay. Uh, Sunday, April 3rd, Orlando City. Wednesday, April 27th at New England. Wednesday, May 11th at FC Dallas. So, yeah, two midweek Wednesday games. I guess they're, you know, a couple weeks apart. Saturday, May 28th in Chicago. A lot of Sunday yeah. games, too, as well. Sunday, July 10th at the Red Bulls. I'll be at that one. Are you going to be at that I, one? I'm anticipating being at that one. Shoot, no, that's, no, uh, that's it's probably going to be tight for me because it's the weekend before my wedding, but I don't foresee a reason why I wouldn't. Cool. Uh, Sunday, July 31st, Sporting Kansas City. I've, I really want to get to Sporting, but I don't think I can do it on a Sunday. No, I would love to go to the, uh, yeah, whatever their new stadium's name is called. I would love to go out there. Just even for barbecue. It's not Sporting Park. It's just Sporting Park. No, they got it? a new stadium, so our stadium name is sponsored. It's like, um, oh, did they? Like Child's Mercy Park? Sporting Park or something stupid like that? Are yeah. you kidding me? Child's yeah, Mercy? Yeah. Let me use the internet. You keep talking. I'll find it. <laughs> okay. Um, Saturday, August 13th, D.C. United. Obviously going to be at that one. It's going to be an exciting game. It's going to be hot. There's been talk of D.C. Federal Reserve's endorsed sweatbands for that game. So that'll be fun. It's going to be really hot in D.C. and humid in August. But it'll be a great game, I'm sure. Last time we had a keg out here and all kinds of fun stuff. I imagine it'll only be more this yeah, time. Yeah, I think it's going to be a big game for us this year, because with the Red Bulls game, which is usually a very good turnout, but that's a Sunday, so you might lose some people to that. I think DC's going to get a big crowd. Yeah, it might be. You're right. It's probably it's probably the dark horse, if not the favorite, for biggest uh, attendance from the TA, this away game, of course, this yep. season. Um, Saturday, September 3rd, FC Dallas. Saturday, September 24th, Houston Dynamo. So a little a little bit nice in that they don't have to go to Texas in the middle yes, of summer like this year. Again, I think we have a pretty good schedule, um, to be honest with you. Like, nothing to really bitch about. Yeah. 
and Sporting Kansas City's name is Children's Mercy Park. Wow. Is that a hospital or it's a... I got to assume it's a hospital. Yeah. Man. I thought Moda Center was bad in Providence Park. Yikes. Yeah. Children's Mercy, huh? There you go. There's a joke about their uh, homegrown <laughs> players. Uh, but, you know, I look at it. I mean, I, in, um, I am currently working the weekend of D.C., but I have enough time where I can probably move that, so I anticipate I'm being at D.C. too, so. Cool. Except for it's going to suck, but, you know, from heat. Should be a good game. Yeah, it'll be fun, and actually DC is really fun to visit that time yeah, of I year love if DC. you can bear the bear the heat. I mean, I love and DC. All the you damn go tourists. there, so much free stuff to do. Exactly. Things though, that's you, know, you go there, you can go to the, any of the, the National Mall museums are pretty much free. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Uh, so we are going to now uh, talk to Jamie Gilberg, beat writer for the Timbers and Thorns, and co-host of Soccer Made in Portland. We will tell them. We will tell them. And we're back for segment two with Jamie Goldberg, Timbers and Thorns writer from the Oregonian. Jamie, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. No, thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. You may probably don't even know this, but the reason Kyle and I started this podcast almost exactly a year ago uh, is based off an article you wrote about Timbers fans basically across the nation. And uh, I think Kyle posted it on the Facebook group or something and was like, hey, should we put something together? And, uh, you know, that day we got hundreds of people to sign up. I think it was at 600 then. There's over 1,000 people yeah. uh, on the East Coast platoon nowadays. And uh, so I guess first we should say thank you for, <laughs> for helping us organize and uh, getting us where we are today. Uh, did you have any idea before you wrote that? Like, what was the, what was the seed that planted uh, for you to get that one started? Well, I, I knew a little bit about the Lone Star Brigade because um, actually one of my friends, a former Argonian intern, and uh, my former roommate when I was also an Argonian the intern. The other Jamie. Here, yes. Jamie. Jamie Ford, I think she goes by now, Her um, since she's been married. Um, she has she was been on this podcast. Yeah. She has. So it was it was really her. Um, she was my roommate out here when I was an intern in 2011 at the Oregonian. And um, obviously she continued as a Timbers fan and got involved with the Lone Star Brigade when, when she was living in Texas. And um, she kind of mentioned it to me as, hey, you know, like the Lone Star Brigade is not the only subgroup. There's people all over the country and these groups are pretty big. You should probably write something about it. And so I, I think I asked her about some contacts and then I started getting other contacts through Facebook and through asking other people and suddenly I realized wow this is this is pretty incredible how many people out there and how many groups and subgroups there are uh for the timbers and so I I it was a really fun story to write and I think it's one of those stories that did kind of bring more people together I think they started something up in Montana after that and yep. it was yep. kind of cool to see and to like this podcast it's kind of cool to see some sort of impact coming from an article I wrote I think also one of the really cool things is like you brought people out of the woodwork and all these little markets. Like even though like 
we had the East Coast platoon. You know, we had people from Florida to you know, up in Massachusetts. But like, there are people that you know followed the Oregonian, but weren't necessarily fans of the East Coast platoon page, and they're able to find us that way. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, so let's let's take a step back. Um, you know, usually Kyle and I are talking about how we with other people how they became Turner's fans and stuff. Obviously. You uh you have journalistic integrity, so you don't necessarily come from that uh, same point of view. So uh, if you don't mind, could you like you grew up in the Bay Area, right? We know because you're a Giants fan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, so uh, when you were growing up, you probably weren't thinking, you know, I can't get to go to press conferences with Caleb Porter. What what gave you the urge to become a writer, and how did you end up with Portland? Sounds a little bit like you had that internship going. Yeah, um, it's I've been doing sports journalism for a really long time. I actually started in high school. Uh, I was a sports editor at my high school paper. And I, I think the reason that I was drawn to sports journalism uh, over other forms of journalism was um, because I played a lot of sports growing up. I, I played soccer competitively. I also played softball competitively. I actually had to choose between those two sports when I decided to go to college. I played college softball, but... I could have easily done soccer instead. It was kind of at, at the division three level. I'm not amazing athlete like the people I cover, but um, I, it's something that's always been part of my life playing sports and I, I've always liked writing. So I kind of followed that path. And then throughout college, I just kept doing internships, trying to work for whatever papers I could working for online sites. And it's just something I've been following ever since I got, I think pretty lucky with the Oregonian. Um, it's just kind of things fell into place at the right time. I had actually um, not, I had applied to an internship uh, a little bit earlier in my college career with the Oregonian and I hadn't got the internship. So I, I reached out to the editor, of the, um, one of the managing editors at the Oregonian and kind of asked her to tell me what I could do to get better as a journalist. And um, I spent the summer in where I'm from, Marin County, um, in the Bay Area, working at a local paper there, covering sports and, you know, working to become a better sports journalist. And then after that, I was able to reapply to the Oregonian, get the internship, come back. And um, I went to grad school for two years uh, between my internship and between when I got this job. And they were looking for another person on the soccer beat. And I have obviously the background with playing soccer. I, I think there's not too many people on our staff that have a great background in soccer, even with knowing the game. So I think that was something they liked and um, it was just the right time. And I'd been there before and I really liked it and I'd wanted to come back. So um, I don't, I don't know if this is ever anything I expected to do, but I definitely wanted to be doing something in sports and it's been a really fun experience being here. That's great. I mean, I know you don't need to comment on this, but I know there was a bit of criticism for your predecessor that they didn't necessarily know the game as well, and I feel like that's something that once you came on to Oregon Live and the Oregonian, it's it was just instantly apparent that you actually understood soccer and um, had a history with it. So I think that's something that definitely a lot of folks that read you appreciate. So that's it. That's it's good to know that you do have that rich history that we imagined for you. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, just to kind of put a uh, some history to the name. Did you ever go to any like earthquakes or clash games growing up or anything like that? Was that too far north? It's uh, yeah, I never actually went. Um, it was a little bit too. It's a little bit far for us, and there's so many sports in uh, sure. the area. I, I did go to University of San Francisco soccer games. My dad's a professor there, so 
I went to a lot of their soft, uh, soccer and basketball games growing up, but that was most uh, probably the highest level of soccer I watched be- in person. I also followed the U.S. women's national team. Uh, I grew up watching them, dreaming of one day uh-huh. being on the team like any kid um, who saw the Me 1999 too. World Cup. I wanted to be Brianna Scurry. I was a goalkeeper growing up. So, um, but yeah, I never really was able to make it out to MLS games. My first MLS game ever, I think, was covering the Timbers as an intern in 2011, uh, sometime during that summer in that first season. Clearly, you knew a little bit about them having done the internship. Did you, what did you know about the Timbers Army when you started covering them? I think, you know, probably, I think we can say about the most passionate. Uh, fan fan group you'll find. You know, it's not exactly covering the Giants, or you know, it's a different sport, and there's a whole different supporters culture that goes with it. Did you understand and fully grasp what what you were getting into with uh, the Tim Rosario when you took the job? You know, I don't think I fully grasped everything about the Timbers Army when I, I took the job, but I mean, I knew I knew about them from I think in the first game I covered in 2011, and I can't even remember. Which team it was against? I know it was sometime probably in June of 2011, a home game. I just remember walking to that stadium and being. I, I told I think my parents and like everyone after that I've never seen a fan group like this. And obviously, like you said, the Giants are different. The Giants have more fans at their games, but I'm a huge Giants fan, and I've never experienced anything like that atmosphere at Providence Park. It, it doesn't really compare to you, the atmosphere you get in at a baseball stadium or at an NBA arena. Um, So I was just like floored by just how intense and passionate the supporters were there. And I think when I came back, I I was ready for that and I understood they were there. And so it didn't surprise me. And I, I think it did take me a little while to realize as a journalist covering the team, there's so much, interesting things happening within the Timbers Army as well as the team. And I think for the first six months, maybe I was there, I really stayed focused on the field with the players. And um, at some point we started trying to branch out more and getting involved with seeing what kind of stories are out there in the Timbers Army. And I think over the last year or so, I've really grown to appreciate kind of everything that goes into being a member of the Timbers Army and all the background and history as I've been able to reach out more to that community, write stories like obviously the subgroup story, but a lot more stories about different people and different aspects of the Timbers Army during that time. Does that make your job easier, harder, both? I, I don't know what it, what it makes. I mean, it, it definitely gives it more layers um, in terms of just, uh, I, I guess, meaning to pay attention to more than just the field and exactly what's going on there. But um, it's something I like. I like that there's a fan culture here. That's almost a separate story than just the team. The team and the fans are so connected. It's the, what makes the Timbers. I mean, I think all the players will admit this. Obviously the MLS cup starts to change that, but what has made the Timbers so well known throughout MLS prior to their recent success is the fans. And so this is an organization that you is kind of built from the fans at its base and then as starting to become a successful organization on the field as well. And I think that's just a unique experience. It's not something you're going to get other places. And I think even the players appreciate the fans more here than you might get at uh, some bigger sports. And 
some different um, levels. So I don't know. I don't know if it makes it harder, but it's something that I've really enjoyed. Is I've been able to do some really fun stories uh, through that. I mean, I, I camped out outside of Providence Park, which I know the people that do line culture every weekend think that's totally normal, but I, I thought that was absolutely crazy. I went to the log blessing. I mean, there's been some crazy fun stories that I've been able to do just by paying attention to what's going on in the Timbers Army. It's probably unavoidable to a certain extent, but is it hard to stay uh, unbiased in a way? I mean, I, I assume you're at least partially rooting for the Timbers to win just so it's easier to go in the locker room after the game and talk to the, get some quotes out of people, or what's, what are your, is it hard to stay unbiased in that way? I think it's, I definitely don't feel like a fan that, like I feel about the Giants. I mean, I, I, if the Timbers lose, it doesn't impact me emotionally. It changes my job. I know it's going to be, the locker room's going to have a different atmosphere. I'm going to have to write different things. I might have to ask tougher questions. Um, and that's not always the most fun, but I don't think it's as a journalist, especially like when you're writing on deadline, basically by the 89th minute, you're writing for the results to stay. You're not, you're not hoping for the team to come back and win and have a, I mean, you're just trying to do your job and it, it can be a difficult job sometime. And when you have those deadlines, when you have things you have to meet, when you have tasks that have to be completed, I think it allows you to kind of take a step back and, look at it like your job and not have as much of an emotional feel in in it. I mean, it can be fun at times, but it's not fun in the same way that it is to be a fan. And I think it keeps me from being as emotionally invested because ultimately I'm there. I have to do all these tasks on game day, writing, interviewing, and um, I, I just cover whatever happens and it's not really something I'm super emotionally invested in. Yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense. I mean, you know, it is your job at the end of the day. So, I, I mean, watching them win the MLS Cup was incredible. And as a, oh, yeah, from sure. even a journalist perspective, like, I'm not going to have many experiences like that. And I, I think, you know, in that final game, I was like, yeah, we're here. Let's let's have the whole thing. This would be great to cover an MLS Cup title. Um, but on a day to day basis, it's not. Sure. It's not like. I, I don't feel mostly invested in every single game and every single outcome. Yeah. Fair enough. So you, uh, you and Chris talked about, you know, some of the preseason moves we've, uh, we've made so far, but you have not talked about because it didn't happen yet. The, uh, the draft that happened this morning. So can you tell us anything about how you think the Timbers drafted? I, I mean, I think that, the players they drafted, you're not going to see make a real impact for a, a long time. I mean, it could be a few years before you even see them on the field. I mean, I think the hope is that these are players that could become like a George Fashive uh, or Taylor Pay, where they're getting a few minutes a year down the road, maybe two. Um, obviously, they think Ben Polk was the higher pick. He is the guy that's going to potentially have more of a chance to break in. I think because the Timbers don't have a ton of depth right now in the winger position, although there definitely sounds like they're going to be going out there to sign a proven winger that's going to be able to compete with Milano and Espria for playing time. But after that, they don't have a ton of depth there. So Caleb, I talked to Caleb today, and he did say that, um, you know, Polk will be given the opportunity in preseason to kind of compete to become one of those depth pieces at winger, someone who maybe can see some minutes here or there. 
but they're not looking to draft for um, for now. And I, I think Caleb Corr has been really clear about that, that if you are a team that's drafting players and hoping they're going to make an immediate impact, then you're not a team that's doing very well. You're getting the first draft picks because you had a terrible season, or you're getting a later draft pick and your team's just not deep enough so that player is able to come in. And so he's always said it should be a challenge for the college players to break in, and that's proven pretty true with the Timbers draft picks in the past. And given that they have even later draft picks this year, I don't see these players coming in immediately. I think they're both players that have potential, and we might they might end up um, doing well at the T2 level. But these are people that you're probably going to see how they fit in at the T2 level and see if they have a big showing there and what that means for the future for them. Uh, and am I right that is it Polk is under an MLS contract, right, as the first rounder, and then Brett yeah. will probably be a T2 contract? Yeah, that that seems like it will be. I mean, Polk will probably be loaned down to T2, um, so, I mean, similar to... But he'll Paul. occupy a roster spot, right? He will occupy a roster spot, and then, yeah, um, I would assume that Brett would 100% be signed with T2. I mean, it, obviously, he might not be signed at all. He has to do well in camp, but... Um, he, I, he won't be with the first team, is my assumption. Do you think, it, it seems like this has been months of offseason crammed into about one month, do you see any other big moves on the horizon for the Timbers or even the thro- uh, Thorns after the draft tomorrow for them? Yeah, um, I mean, with the Timbers, I think it's that, uh, as Chris has called it, mystery winger um, right. that they're going to sign. And I think that's really the last move at this point. I mean, they basically have the majority of their roster filled out. They have a pretty good amount of depth in um, most positions. I think they prepared pretty well for CCL and um, made replacements where they needed to make replacements. So I think it's going to be that, and then it's going to be just looking at some players in preseason camp and seeing who they want to sign or if there's spots left for um, certain people on the first-team roster that have been with T2 in the past, and then obviously the draft picks will get a chance Um as well, I've heard Ryan Johnson is in town um, from some few people, so it would not shock me to see him in camp um, as like, and if 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 that were true, if he were to come back, that would probably be someone that would be a depth signing and only if they felt like they needed it. So I don't think there would be any guarantee there, but I've heard rumors about that, so that may or may not be true. Um, in terms of the Thorns, I, I, Mark Parsons said they would like to be very close to complete after tomorrow, but I do think there's a few more things on the horizon. Uh, he says they're going after two more players uh, before the season starts, two internationals, one who is an international who has not played in the NWSL and one who's an international who has played in the NWSL. I would assume the international from abroad is, as Merritt Paulson has uh, leaked a little bit, is Henri. Um, and that would be an amazing signing for them. Um, I'm not sure who the international from within the league is, but it looks like they're still going after that one more player to fill out the roster, and we'll see what happens with the draft tomorrow. I mean, they're going to get Emily Sonnen at number one. I think number two is a little bit more up in the air. They were picking between four players. I think three of those players are pretty – the names have been pretty well publicized with Rodriguez, Rocaro, and – I'm forgetting the last person's name, Doniak. Um, I'm not really sure who the fourth is. Uh, but they could also make trades in the draft. I mean, they might end up trading some picks away at the last minute. We really don't know. 
the Thorns drafts in past years, obviously they have a new coach, but in past years have been way more exciting than the MLS Super Drafts. So we'll see how it goes. Always fun to be a ton of news at 7 a.m. is always a fun way for the morning to begin. But um, so I think there are a few more moves on both sides that are going to be announced. I think the rosters are getting pretty settled, but um, there's still a little bit more info out there for fans to look forward to. And as far as those Thorns draft picks, it seems like, assuming they do keep them, they're going to be, if not starters on day one, probably contributors, right, you would imagine? Yeah, I mean, I would assume Emily Scott will be a starter on day one on that back line, if you're just looking at the players they have right now. Uh, I'm not sure who they're going to take with number two at the moment, but they're going to look positional needs is going to be something they consider. And so I would assume that player will also be a player that if they're not a starter is going to be someone that has a lot of minutes. I think number 21 is going to be a little bit more up in the air um, in terms of if they make the team and if they can play a significant role. All this is obviously having depth is obviously going to be important for them with the Olympics. And um, I think that their their goal in the beginning was to only have three or four players leaving to the Olympics. And that's changing because Iran has gone to us national team camp and, really impressed. All of a sudden she could be on that roster. Sonnet could be on that roster. I think she has a little bit more behind, but she could be. French got called up. And so all of a sudden they had an idea of who would be leaving and they were targeting these players that were good players and the good up and coming players with the national team that are suddenly impressing and could be going as well. So that that's going to be um, something that Thorns have to look out for this year. It's a mistake they're really, really trying to avoid after last year having way too many players leave for the World Cup and having it completely derail their season. Um, that's not supposed to happen again. That was a priority for Mark Parsons. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out, especially with some of the new signings, how well they're actually doing with the national team. Jamie, do you know when the Thorns schedule gets released? <laughs> you know, I haven't actually seen that. Um, I don't think they've announced. I didn't know if we had yet. any insider info. Yeah. Now, the NWSL is not not great about announcing those things on time. MLS can kind of be difficult with some things like that, and WSL can be as well. So I'm I'm excited for that as well. I'm not sure when it's coming out, but I like coming up with my schedule for the entire year. So I would love to see that as well. Do you? So you you obviously don't. What, what games do you travel? Away games do you travel for? For I guess both both Timbers and Thorns. It, it depends. Well, it depends um, on their schedules because they overlap, I would imagine. Yeah, it, it, it obviously depends on their schedules and how they overlap, but we have kind of set places that we'll consider traveling to. Um, with Thorns, we really only travel to Seattle unless it's playoffs because there's no other teams on the West Coast, uh, so it, it, it's not super easy to get to many of those places. Um, but we do travel to Seattle for them and playoffs if – in the past. I mean, they'll have to make it again for us to travel to that. The Timbers, we've generally gone to the, we've generally at least considered going to the majority of the Western Conference uh, locations. So I haven't gone to every single one, but I, within the last few years, I've pretty much been, I think every single um, Western Conference stadium, except for whatever reason, Kansas City, I haven't made it out there yet. And I've also been to Columbus. So those are, all the stadiums I've been to um, in the in the traveling so far. Awesome. 
So I guess like for our, for our listeners and wherever they may live, where would you say your probably your favorite MLS city slash stadium would be, and why? Um. Well, my favorite trip is San Jose, and that's totally biased because I get to go Some home. Some home cooking. Yeah. I just, I go, I, my parents don't live that close, but they make a day out of it. They drive the hour drive down to San Jose. They they go to the game, and then um, they are, they totally are Timbers fans. I, I don't know. I started covering the team. I was like, you know, I'm not really a fan. I just covered them, but they went all out. They have they, their Timbers gear, so they go watch the game, and then we go back, and I get a chance to um, hang out with the family a little bit. So that's always my favorite trip. San Jose's old stadium was probably one of the worst in MLS. Their new one's actually pretty nice. I'll get, I'll give them that. It's, it's quite a big improvement. Um, I can actually see the field, which is a massive improvement because before you were basically blocked by two pillars, uh, which made it very difficult to actually watch the game. Uh, so that's a huge improvement. I, I, I would say that if I'm going to discount like my family and stuff, I like Vancouver a lot. Um, their stadium's really nice. The city of Vancouver is really cool. Um, I I've had a lot of fun there, both with the world cup and just covering, uh, them as well. Somewhat indoor with the dome, which is always nice. It's not freezing cold, like some places. Um, I, I've, I've had my computer snowed on at Colorado. I'm not a huge fan of their stadium. So, Places like that. I, I, I downgrade uh, stadiums when uh, I can't feel my fingers by the end of the game. But Vancouver might be one of my favorite trips that I've I've done so far. There, there's been some other good ones, too. But I think if I had to rank them, that's probably up there besides seeing my family back in Bay Area. Nice. Uh, here's a, a give us a give us a hot take on this one. More likely to win a championship in 2016. Portland Timbers or Thorns? <laughs> um, wow. More likely. You know, I mean, I, I have to I, I have to go with the Thorns if I have to do more likely. I, I think MLS has more teams for one, but it's also, it's just very hard and there's a lot of parity. And um, the, the Timbers were playing the best soccer at the right time last year, and that's a credit to Caleb Porter and the team for being able to get the team gelling in that way at the right time of the season. But there was a ton of up and downs last year, and had the playoffs been in July, you know, the Timbers wouldn't have been the team winning MLS Cup. And I think the Timbers have done well in playoff-type situations in the past, but it's it's going to be difficult. And even if they make the playoffs again, I mean, making MLS Cup is going to be really tough. Whereas with the Thorns, I don't think there is that parity. They're going to probably have the most talented roster in the NWSL, at least arguably the most talented roster in the NWSL, and it's just going to be about putting it together. Now, that's been a problem in the past. The chemistry hasn't worked. There's been too many injuries. They haven't gelled. But on paper, they've always been a team that you look at and say, hey, this team should be contending for titles, which is why I think the last two years have been such a disappointment. So... I think the expectation for the Thorns is always to contend for the championship, um, whereas the Timbers always want to contend for trophies as well. I think it's a little bit more difficult. They're not. There's a lot more parity, and they're not the team that has just all the resources to go out to get whoever they want. The Thorns are a team where you know players throughout the world. There's nothing like it. They they want it. Professional female uh, soccer players want to play in Portland because there's nothing like it. So. 
Um, they can draw the players they want, and they just have to show that they can put it together, and they, if they can do that, they should contend for the championship. Satisfied, Drew? That not give you an answer? <laughs> yeah. I think, I think what Jimmy's saying, basically, is that the Thorns are the LA Galaxy of the NWSL, and the Timbers <laughs> are the Timbers of the MLS. I just said the MLFs. Sorry, guys. Uh, I don't know. The Thorns are almost more than the Galaxy of the, uh, the um, NWSL. Like they're almost like Madrid Barcelona. Like they're kind of unprecedented. In the way I, I don't know. One trophy doesn't get you uh, quite there. No, I'm not saying about even the trophy standard. I'm just saying that you know people want to play there. Like, I mean, it's the destination for you know female soccer players in the world. I mean, you can go to like, you know, the Chelsea ladies, and they don't get support. I mean, they don't have the crowds that Providence Park pulls in. It's true. Uh, doesn't doesn't have Disney World either. Uh. <laughs> no, it's not true. Um, cool. Well, I think unless Kyle has any last questions, I I guess that's all all we have. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us, Jamie. That was a lot of fun. Much appreciated. Yeah, no problem. It was fun. I like I like getting different questions, not just the how do you analyze the trades. It's always fun to talk about my background a little bit and talk about journalism stuff like that. No, we have to thank you because we wouldn't be here without you. So absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad you guys are doing it. And uh, we'll we'll see you at a uh, MLS Cup 2016 in Columbus or wherever wherever it may be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. All right, thanks, Jamie. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. You can hear it all.